something's missing And here's still some voice that you keep dismissing Do you know how it feels to be troubled inside And to think that for you on a cross someone died Do you know how it feels when he knocks to surrender Have your sins washed away never to be remembered And know that it's real Tell me do you know how it feels Man, how does it feel to know you're a child of the King? Heavenly Father owns everything. How does it feel to know you are loved by the one who created the stars up above? How does it feel to know you're alright when you lay your head on your pillow each night and know that it's real? Tell me, do you know how it Do you know how it feels when your cold heart is melted and tears start flowing? The moment you felt it, do you know how it feels to know you've been changed? And it seems like the whole world has been rearranged. Do you know how it feels wherever you roam? You still get a feeling that you're not at home. Knowing heaven is real, tell me, do you know how it feels? Then how does it feel to know you're a child of the King? Your Heavenly Father owns everything. How does it feel to know you are loved by the one who created the stars up above? How does it feel to know you're alright when you lay your head on your pillow each night and know that it's real? Tell me, do you know how it feels? You're a child of the King, your Heavenly Father owns everything. How does it feel to know you are loved by the one who created the stars up above? Do you know how it feels to know you're alright when you lay your head on your pillow each night and know that it's real? Tell me, do you know how it feels? But you know, I gotta check and see what time it is. Oh, it's time to get to work and get down to the station. We gotta get down that train station and get a little work done. Life is like a mountain railway with an engineer that's brave. We must make the run successful from the cradle to the grave. Watch the curves, the fills, the tunnels, never falter, never quail. Keep your hand upon the throttle and your eye upon the rail. You will roll up grades of trials, you will cross the bridge of strife. See that Christ is your conductor on this lightning train of life. Always mindful of obstructions, do your duty, never fail. Keep your hand upon the throttle and your eye upon the rail. You will often find obstructions, 
Look for storms of wind and rain on a fill, a curve or trestle. They will almost ditch your train. Put your trust alone in Jesus. Never falter, never fail. Keep your hand upon the throttle and your eye upon the rail. You will often find obstructions. Look for storms of wind and rain. You behold the Union Depot into which your train will glide. Put your, keep your hand upon the throttle. Put your eye upon the rail. As you roll across the trestle, spanning Jordan, swelling tide, you'll behold the Union Depot into which your train will glide. There you'll meet the superintendent, God the Father, God the Son, with the hearty, joyous plaudit, weary pilgrim, welcome home. Blessed Savior, Thou wilt guide us till we reach the blissful shore, where the angels wait to join us in Thy praise forevermore, forevermore, forevermore. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for that song. That was, that was a blessing. Alright, go ahead and take your Bibles this morning. If you have them, turn to the book of Luke chapter 12. Brother Gomer asked if there's any specials today, and I said, we have one, but you know what? I've got no problem with having two. I like a lot of singing in church. That that was a great song. Luke chapter 12, we're going to read verse 42 through 48. And the Lord said, Who then is that faithful and wise steward whom his Lord shall make ruler over his household to give them their portion of meat in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his Lord when he cometh shall find so doing. Of a truth I say unto you that he will make him ruler over all that he hath. But and if that servant say in his heart, My Lord delayeth his coming, and shall begin to beat the men's servants and the maidens and to eat and drink and to be drunken, the Lord of that servant will come in a day when he looketh not for him, and at an hour when he is not aware, and will cut him in sunder, and will appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. And the servant which knew his Lord's will and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. But he that knew not and did commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes. For unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall be much required, and to whom men have committed much, of him will they ask the more. This morning I'm going to do kind of a different message today. I'm not going to do a usual like preaching message like I always do, although I probably will throw some preaching in there. I don't know if I can help that. But um, really the message I have is really short, but what I want to do right now is I just kind of want to share my testimony with you. And because uh, I think for you to... Uh, I think it will help you when you kind of hear my testimony. It will kind of uh, help you understand what I want to show you from this passage that we read here in Luke chapter 12. So I guess my testimony. Alright, a little, little bit of history. Uh, I was born November 24th, 1980 in Peoria, Illinois. 
Uh, my I, the first church I went to uh, it was I went to church from, since before I was born. My mom she went there when she was pregnant with me, and uh, April uh, or I was they or they it was November twenty fourth, and so then right after that I'm in church. It was Bethel Baptist Church in Pekin, Illinois. It's still there. It's it's still going. I've, I've had the privilege of going and preaching there a few times in the past, but I was. I was born just like everybody else. Everybody in here, you can kind of share that testimony. You've all been born at some time. I can tell just by looking at you. But just like anybody else that was born, I kind of picked up something from my parents uh, similar to something you all picked up from your parents. Uh, when I was born, uh, I, I had this thing called sin in my life from the day I was born. I was a sinner just like everybody else. Psalms chapter 51, verse 5. I want to read a verse so you don't have to turn there. But David said, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. I was, I was, I was born, I was born a sinner. My parents, they never taught me, they never taught me how to lie, they never taught me how to back talk or how to be selfish. They never taught me those things. But you know, I, as, as a kid, you know, most of my time that I remember, you know, I don't think I was that bad of a kid. One of my first sins, I guess, that I remember was I, I was, I was small. I was probably only maybe four years old. And I remember one time I was in the bathroom and I found my mom's lipstick. And I remember I went and I kind of rubbed it on the sink and it kind of left, you know, a nice coat on there. And I was like, oh, that's cool. And I kind of started painting the sink, uh, with, with my mom's lipstick. And for some reason, I didn't clean it up. I just left it there like kids do. You know, you'd think they'd try to cover their tracks. And I don't know, I didn't even think nothing of it. I don't even know that I thought I was really doing anything bad when I did it. But I remember a little while later in the day, I remember hearing my mom yell, Tommy, did you get my lipstick all over the sink? And it was one of those questions that when I heard it, I knew that uh, if I say yes, it's not going to be good. And my parents, they never sat me down and said, Tommy, listen, if you ever get in trouble, or if you ever think you're in trouble, if you tell a lie, it might get you out of trouble. I was never taught that. Nobody taught me that. But I said, I just remember my sinful instincts kicked in and I said, no, Christy did it. Christy was my younger sister. Christy was pretty young at the time, a little too young to defend themselves. Uh, you know, my kids, they do the same thing. They always blame the youngest one, you know, the one that can't, can't speak for themselves. And I remember, I remember my mom yelling at Christy, and you know, Christy didn't really have a defense or anything. And I remember Christy getting in trouble for getting lipstick all over the sink. And I remember hearing it, and I remember thinking, man, I got out of that one. And I don't, so I don't remember a lot of the details after that. But one thing that was very clear, though, at young ages, I was on a road to destruction. Now you say, you lied about lipstick on the sink. Yes, I did, but here's the thing, that learning to lie, eventually, it could have turned into bigger things. It could have turned into cheating on my schoolwork. It could have then turned into you know lying to my parents about what I've been doing. It could have uh, turned into lying on my job. It could have uh, lying to the authorities. Those things we start doing them small and they get bigger. And I, I started out just like everybody else on the road to sin. I, I was heading that way. It you know only I mean only God can say what would have happened had April 30th not come along. April 30th, 1986. 
I remember it was a Wednesday night. I was at home. I was in bed. And I remember the Holy Spirit speaking to my heart. I'd been taught you know, from a little kid. I was taught the Bible. I went in church. I was taught the verses about being a sinner. I was taught about needing to ask Jesus Christ to be your Savior. And I remember something telling me I needed to do that. And I remember I went and I called for my parents and they came in there and I told them, I was like, Mom, Dad, I want to get saved. And I remember right there kneeling down by my bed and praying and asking Jesus Christ to save me. And He saved me that day. I was only a five-year-old kid. So, what you know? Five year old doesn't need to get saved. You know they're they're not bad. Yeah, I, yeah. I hadn't killed anybody yet. Yeah, I hadn't robbed any banks yet. But I was on that path too. I was a sinner just like everybody else. I was already starting to do those things. But God saved me that day as a five year old boy, and I wasn't perfect after that. I could tell you all kinds of other stories about things I did, but I can also tell you that I remember feeling pretty bad about it. I remember when my sister got in trouble and I lied. You know, that's one story I told. I remember thinking, man, this is kind of nice. But you know what? To this day, I can't feel that way about sin. When I do, when I do something I know I shouldn't, boy, the Holy Spirit, He convicts my heart. But I was, I was five years old when I got saved. You know, I spent the next few years, you know, being a kid, getting in trouble, you know, being a little maniac, you know, hyper kid. I was, I was, I was quite the nerd as a little kid. Uh, my my parents, man, they I had one of these bull haircuts. I looked like a blonde mo from the Three Stooges, I think, and with glasses, it was it was pretty bad. But when I was seven years old, I remember uh, my parents. They went and they my dad was pastoring a church in Spring Valley for about five years, and then he went and he started Lighthouse Baptist Church in uh, August of 1988. Lighthouse Baptist Church was started, and I. As a little kid, I remember we went in there at that church. It was an old western nightclub. It had a bar in it. Think you imagine a church with a bar in it? Well, our church had a bar in it. <laughs> now, didn't have any alcohol in it, but there was a bar there. I remember the first thing my dad did when we got the place, he took down the cold beer sign. He was all excited about doing that. And we had this junky, nasty building. I mean, it was it was nasty. It smelled bad. I remember it had the drop ceiling in there, and on, and it had on the lights you would see mice go running across there all the time, and the ladies would freak out. I remember one time my mom's up there at the piano, and I remember a mouse ran under the piano, and she didn't see it, but I remember I kind of looked. I was like, "There's a mouse under the under the piano," and she got all nervous, and I mean, it, it was it was a crummy building. But you know what? We had a Bible, and we had a gospel message, and my dad, he started preaching it. We started telling people about the church. People started coming. We started remodeling it. We got the place fixed up. We pretty much remodeled the whole building, and the church began to grow. I remember as a young kid, I got to see God do a work. I remember the first time we hit 50 at the church. And then I remember a while later, we had our first service where we had a hundred people there. I remember we were praying we'd have a big crowd that day. We had a big crowd and there was like 98 people there. We'd been praying for a hundred. And then four people, I remember, came walking in late and we had 102 people. And I remember it was exciting and we had a great revival meeting. We saw several people get saved. But God started doing work and the church grew and we were, we were having a hundred all the time. And so finally we had to build a new auditorium. We added on to the place and built a beautiful auditorium that they're still in today. God continued to do work. I mean, they built the gymnasium uh, several years ago, and just God got to do. started doing work, and I got to watch it. I got to watch that. I got to. Uh, I mean, I, I remember seeing my dad work hard. I mean, he spent a lot of hours there at the church trying to fix the place up, and then trying to uh, trying to be a pastor and get messages ready. 
I got to see that, and you know what? I got to help. I was taught. I was taught to help. I got I, at a young age. I was able to start sowing seeds that where I would end up reaping some fruit later. Galatians chapter six verse seven says, "Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap." You know the things that you do. People, kids, will always say, "Oh, I got to sow my wild oats." Well, the problem with that, well, then you got to reap them later. But as a kid, I I grew up in church. I grew up in a pastor's home. I was taught, you know, to help in church. I remember doing the work. I remember helping. And the Bible says, "For he that soweth to his flesh shall the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the spirit shall the spirit reap life everlasting." This verse here can be encouraging if you're sowing good things. That's why you want to get your kids in church at a young age. You want to get them doing right at a young age because they're going to start to reap those things later. Sometimes it takes several years, but they will. Because verse 9 says, "...and let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not." If you don't give up, God's going to bless you. God, you will eventually reap. And as a young age, I remember I remember going there on every Saturday. We were out there and we were always tearing stuff out, remodeling things. There was almost always a fire going out in the back. And I remember my goal every day was just to keep that fire burning the whole day. I was always going and trying to find more garbage to put on there to keep the fire going. And just always, always working. And then during those years, I eventually became a teenager. And let me tell you, and all these things I'm saying, I mean, you'll see at the end of this message, if at any point it sounds like bragging at all, you'll find out that is the farthest thing from what I'm trying to do. As a young child, I had so many great people that spent a lot of time with me, that paid attention to me. Some of my Sunday school teachers. I think about guys like Steve Martin, not the Steve Martin that you probably all know of, the famous one. But Steve Martin, he he's actually been here he and visited one week. He worked with the kids downstairs in junior church. He was my Sunday school teacher for many years. I can I can still remember some of the Sunday school lessons that he did. He was he taught me Bible stories. I remember uh, during those earlier that guys like Dave Kaiser was another one that was my Sunday school teacher, and I remember some of the stories that he taught me. Some of the stories that I teach here, I was taught by some of these people. Um, Steve Martin, Roger Lund was another one. Those guys have they were both my Sunday school teacher, and they were even my boys Sunday school teacher for a long time. Uh, Jack and Jane Kane, I remember they were uh, they were the King's Kids leaders in our church. They were the ones that uh, did King's Kids when I was there, and now I'm getting ready to start a King. We're getting ready to start a King's Kids here at this church. These people spent a lot of time with me, invested a lot of time with me, teaching me the scriptures. These people they did it all for free too. They were all volunteer. They just did it because they love God, and they did it not just for me, but for many other kids. But I had I had those people in my church, other adults like you here, people that, that you know it wasn't their job. They worked regular jobs. They uh, you know they worked in factories. They had different businesses. But uh, Stevie was a truck driver. I mean, did all kinds of different things. But they they went and they invested in my life. They gave to me. Um, other preachers that I know. I remember there was one man. I, I wish he's in heaven now. I would have loved more than anything to have had him come and preach in this church. His name was Jack Parchman, and he he was an older fellow. He was uh, well, I guess when I was a little kid, he was probably only in his sixties, which seemed pretty old, you know, when I was a little kid. But I remember as a little kid, this guy he paid all kinds of attention to me. I remember every time he would come and preach, he'd come over to our house, and he would always want to watch the Three Stooges with me. 
And man, and, you know, and this guy was like a hero to me too. And he always wanted to watch Three Stooges with me. And every time I'd see him, he would always ask me, hey, you got any, any Three Stooges videos? And you know, if I did, I'm like, yeah. And you know, we'd watch him when he would come over to our house. And this guy paid attention to this little nerdy, bratty little kid. And I looked up to this guy like crazy. I, and, and through my teenage years, he was always the same way. And I remember one time I, I saw him, and I remember him asking me, he's like, you know, he asked what I was planning on doing with my life. And if, you know, if God had given me any direction in those areas yet. And just the fact that this guy was paying attention to me and he challenged me. And many other guys like that. Another man, he's in heaven now too. His name was Dwayne Rutherford, old evangelist. And I remember as a kid, I remember just playing my guitar with him in church a couple times. Man, I thought that was the greatest thing in the world. This guy was my hero. And I'm playing the guitar with him. There's many other people that even as a little kid, these guys, they paid attention to me. They focused on me. They tried to help me. And it had an impact. I wanted to do things for God at a young age. My dad, one of the best challenges I think I ever had. My dad, you know, he, he believed in reading your Bible. My dad was faithful to reading the Word of God. And I remember I was at a, uh, one of my other Sunday school teachers. He put a challenge out to us to read through the book of John. And I remember I did. I read through the book of John. And I'm like, man, that wasn't bad. I wonder, I was nine years old. And I was like, I wonder if I could read through this whole Bible. And I remember I started reading through it. And I, man, it was, I remember I was going and I got to some of those early Old Testament books that are a little difficult and there's all these big words. And I remember I was, I was talking to dad one time and I was showing him all that I read. And I remember my dad looked at me and said, you know what? If you keep doing that every day in your life, you're going to be a great man someday. And man, that challenged me. I'm like, oh man. And so I kept reading. And I remember it was hard, but I remember I read through the whole Bible at nine years old. And that changed my life. At an early age, my dad especially, along with some other people, my dad especially, he got me loving this Bible. And he got me studying it like crazy. And I remember my dad told me too, he said, if you read through that, if you read through that Bible, I had this little cheap Bible. He said, I'm gonna, I'll take you and I'll buy you a really nice Bible. And I remember he did. I remember after I finished, boy, he took me to a Christian bookstore and I got to buy one of the nice, expensive Bibles. And man, I did. I wore that thing out. I wore it out. I kept reading through it. I mean, since I was nine years old, I've read through the Bible every year at least once, except maybe there might have been two years that I was I could think of where I didn't make it through the whole Bible. Some years I made it through twice. But... That's that's the way my dad was. That's the way he challenged me. And so as a teenager, I kept doing that. And as a teenager, you know, I, I, I was blessed. I got to go. To, I was in church all those years. I remember my parents taking, sending me to some Christian camps. I love camps. I think they're a great thing. I got a brochure back there for Cedar River. I'm hoping to take some kids to camp this year. And I remember being at camp, making some big decisions that really helped me. One of the decisions I remember making when I was at camp. Was I remember seeing all you know as, as a teenager you know you're starting to notice girls and stuff, but I also was noticing that all these guys that had girlfriends and stuff were always breaking up and were always miserable, and I remember making a decision that you know what I'm not getting a girlfriend until I'm ready to get married, and you know what I never did. My wife was my first girlfriend. I was I was almost 20 years old when we kind of became an item, and I I suffered that. I thank God I enjoyed my teenage years. I didn't have to worry about impressing girls all the time and in fact I probably did the opposite because <laughs> I was kind of I was kind of mean 
uh, most of the time to him. But uh, that decision, it really helped me. I remember when I was 16, uh, you know, I grew up in church. That was all I knew. I went to a Christian school. I, I didn't know anything but the Christian life. And I remember my dad told me, he said, he said, Tommy, you're 16 now. You need to get a job. I was like, well, that's fine, but you know, where am I going to get a job at? It's like when I was your age, I got a job at McDonald's. So he took me to McDonald's one day. He took me there. He knew one of the managers there. He drops me off and takes me in there. She has me fill out an application, interviews me, and hires me right there. I was like, I don't even want to work. Here. I don't even want to work here. And I remember, but I was like, oh, I got I got hired there, and worked there for the next year and a half. And let me tell you, that it was a culture shock for me. I I, I had never. I never heard a woman use filthy language before. I remember I was shocked. I was like, I didn't know women cussed. I thought guys were supposed to stick up for you know women if a guy cussed in their presence. You know that's kind of, that was the way I grew up. I couldn't believe that that was going on. I remember uh, you know I was I was blown away when pretty when pretty much everyone there, all the women that I worked with, they all had kids and none of them were married. I was just like, wait a minute. That's not how it works. <laughs> I mean, I was I was shocked by it. I mean, it, I I couldn't believe it. You know, I just uh, the the sin that was there. I remember it was uh, at first I really kind of had a bad attitude towards these people. I really looked down on them. And then I remember there was there was finally there was one day I wasn't working, but I remember Dad took me golfing, and I remember we went to the drive-through and I saw one of the guys drive and said hi. And the next day when I went to work, he was like, "Yeah, I saw you." He was like. It's like, what were you doing with your dad? I was like, we went golfing. He was like, really? You go golfing with your dad? I was like, yeah. He's like, man, I've never done anything with my dad. And I remember thinking, man, you know, I I did everything with my dad. Like, man, I I got I I used to think I had a mean dad sometimes, you know, because you know of all the rules and things. I remember thinking, man, my dad must not be that bad. I remember. After I started getting to know some of these people, and and while yes, they did a lot of wicked stuff on the outside, while there was just some filthy language and some disgusting things that they would talk about and disgusting things that they were involved in, as I started to get to know them and I started seeing the misery that was in their lives and the misery that came with sin and just the hopelessness that they had, I realized that God has been good to me. When I would tell them about my lifestyle... It would blow them away. They had never heard of that before. You know, when I remember people would, after a while, when they would get to work with me, they would notice I wasn't using any profanity. I wouldn't cuss. And I remember saying, I never had before. And they were like, You've never cussed? It's like, No. It's like, I've learned a bunch of new ones since I started working here. I didn't, you know, I mean, I never, I never even knew those words, let alone Sam. You know, I, and I remember when they, they would find out, you know, I, uh, even when I was, I remember when I was, tw- uh, I was 20 years old, I got my first factory job, and people just thought it was crazy that I had never, you know, I never drank, I'd never smoked, and I had never done all these things that everybody talked about doing all the time. I had never done. They're like, what? Where? What planet are you from? Where did, did you? You know, they would talk about these television shows, and I've seen that one. I never heard of that. It's like you living in a cave, <laughs> like. 
No, people would think think I they would think I was crazy. But you know what? The more I would see of it, the more I'd say that man, my God has been good to me. I didn't have I didn't have to grow up in this stuff. I grew up in a home where I had both my parents there all all the time. I grew up in church. I I grew up being taught the things of God. I grew up being taught to stay away from things that were destroying people's lives. I got to see during those years the effects of drugs, what it has on people, and just the effects of immoral living, what it does to relationships, and how it just destroys people. I remember uh, one of the guys I worked with that wasn't much older than me. I remember when all of a sudden he found out that his girlfriend was pregnant. And it was the end of the world. He didn't know what he was going to do. He was devastated. You know when I found out that my wife was pregnant? We were thrilled to death. Well, I mean, we were excited. You know why? Because we were we were old enough. We were married. We were ready. Uh, we we were ready to start having children. We'd done it the right way, and it was it was thrilling. But during those years, I mean, I I realized just how good that God has been to me. And then when I was 19 years old, I was, I was 19 years old. I was actually working in a summer camp, and while I was there, the Lord really began to work in my heart. For the first time, I'd kind of been away from my parents. Uh, I you know I. Always been close to them, and I was I was there for a few months, and boy, God started to do a work in my life. And boy, the devil, you know, the devil's always going to be around. He's going to try to mess things up. And I remember I was just there. It was my third week that I was there, and I was working. I was helping with some things, and I'm driving a tractor, pulling a wagon, and we're putting all these chairs and stuff and moving them somewhere. And I remember I went and I parked that tractor on the hill, and I went to put it in park, but I didn't. Totally get it in park. And I didn't know that until I get off and I go inside this building and all of a sudden I look and this other guy is chasing the tractor down the hill. It goes barreling down the hill out into a parking lot and just creams somebody's van. I mean, just creams it. Now, let me tell you, I was humiliated, devastated, embarrassed. The guy was real nice about it. It was a missionary. You know, it was actually his brother's van that he was borrowing. I mean, I just felt like garbage. The only reason I did not pack my things and go home was because then I would have to explain to everybody while I was at home. And I remember I thought, I'm not going to tell them about it. And I didn't tell anybody at home about it until a long time later after I got over the embarrassment. I thought, I'm going to stick it out. And I, you know, it was, yeah, it was months later before I ever told them about it. And I almost went home. I almost went home and then, you know, I, I stayed there and it was during that time when I was there that God ended up calling me to preach. I got the call to preach. I knew that that was God wanted me, what God wanted me to do with my life. And I went back home, told them I was wanting to go full, I was wanting to go into the ministry and they kind of had me in a part-time position while I worked, during those years that I worked in the factory. And then, uh, finally, I remember in 2005, the church said that they would be able to take me on full-time, and I got to go full-time into the ministry. That was my job, working in the church. And let me tell you, those first years, they were tough. The first years, uh, man, I did everything wrong with my money. I mean, we got we got into debt. We did a bunch of stuff wrong. It was challenging. The people weren't used to me. The people, well, I mean, they were used to me, but they were they knew me growing up. And all of a sudden, I'm like the assistant pastor and I was the supervisor in the school and I got all kinds of grief uh, for different things and it was just very stressful. 
But you know what? God started giving victories. We ended up getting victory over our finances. We started doing things right and we were able to pay off our debt and that was a huge help. Uh, God started blessing the ministry there at the church and people started, you know, they started backing me up and we, and uh, our youth group grew and God just did great things. And, and really, up until this last year, I mean, God, God was blessing us at Lighthouse. We, we lived in a nice house right by the church. I mean, our, uh, we had an exciting ministry there, you know, working with the teens. We got to do a lot of fun trips and things. I mean, God was just blessing like crazy. And then it takes us to last, yeah, last year around this time, God started really speaking to me about starting a church. God directed me to this, He directed me to this area. And I told y'all some of the stories before, but God made it very clear that this is where He wanted us. God made it very clear, and we we announced that we were gonna do it. And man, I was overwhelmed at the amount of just support and the prayers that I got from people from all over, from several different churches, people that helped. We had so many churches come out here and help us pass out flyers. We had people that gave financially uh, to to help. Uh, we have there's still some churches that are still. Uh, giving financially just to help with the ministry here, and I mean, so many pastors. Brother Terry Angel, one of my one of my favorite preachers, one of my heroes. You know, he he approached me and asked if they could help with their receding Illinois ministry, and they were the ones that gave us uh, had all the flyers and things printed up. I mean, they just they were a huge help. I was thrilled. I was overwhelmed by it. I, I couldn't believe it. And then you know, the Lord gave us this building, and then. Not only did He just give us a building, but He gave us several people. He gave He gave us you guys who didn't even know me, didn't even know me, but started coming and are helping. And God's doing great things here today. And I say all this to say, really, to say this: How can I sum up my testimony? How can I say, you know, if I was going to explain me, what would be the best way to do it? I think the best way to do that is we see in 1 Timothy chapter 1. I think if I was going to call myself something based on my performance, if you want to call it, is the chief of sinners. Chief of sinners. You might say, but wait a minute. You know, you said you never smoked or drank and you know, done all that stuff. You know, I mean, you I mean you grew up in a preacher's home, you never did all you never you know, you never stole anything, you never killed anybody. Let me tell you. I honestly believe today that I'm the chief of sinners. And I'm going to tell you why. First Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, Paul's talking. And he said, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me for that He counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly. And unbelief. Paul, before he got saved, was a very wicked man. He killed Christians. I mean, he was he was wicked. But notice he says, I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly. Paul was following his religion. Paul was following what he had been taught. Paul was doing what he had been raised to do. But he didn't know. He hadn't been taught the right way. And then in verse 14, he said, "...and the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love which is in Christ Jesus." This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of who I am chief. Howbeit, for this cause I obtained mercy that at me first Jesus might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on Him in, 
uh, to life everlasting. Paul said, I am the chief of sinners, but that's why Jesus came. And He showed a pattern. And I'm here today to tell you that I think I am equally a sinner just like Paul. Yeah, I never killed any Christians, but you know what? I wasn't raised that way. I was raised in the house of God. I was raised to do a work for God. You know what? If I would have been, I believe, honestly believe today, that if I'd have been raised in a drunkard's home, I would be a drunkard today. If I was raised in a murderer's home, I would be a murderer today. All I am is a product of where I was raised. I'm, I'm nothing special. I've just, it's what I've been taught to do. It's, it's the way I, it's the way I was raised. It's what I've been taught. And that verse that we read in the beginning in Luke chapter 12, God, Jesus makes a statement at the end. And He says, unto whom much is given, much is required. You know, I can't think of anybody that's been given more than I have. I grew up in church. I had some of the best Sunday school teachers, I think. I've, got to, I've known some of the best preachers. I, I've had, I had the best parents, I believe. And I'm here to tell you that all of those things were a gift from God. I did nothing to earn those things. I didn't just pick those things. I didn't pick Lighthouse Baptist Church. My parents did. My dad started that church. I just went along. I, I, I didn't pick to be a Baptist. I was raised a Baptist, but thank God I was raised in something, in, in the right thing. I was raised in a, in a special place. And for me to think that I'm better than anybody else, I mean, would really be as, not as hypocritical as you can get. You know, I don't brag that I've never cussed. I mean, I, I, apparently I did once when I was a little kid. My dad, somebody heard me saying something. And I remember my dad came and he asked me about it, and I was like, I don't even remember what it was. And he and I said, Yeah, I, this person was saying it, and I was saying it. My dad's like, You don't repeat everything you hear. That's a bad word. Don't ever say that again. And they, oh, that was my uh, experience in cussing, and I got, I got busted for it, and <laughs> didn't do it anymore because I knew I'd get in trouble. But that's how I was raised. I've been given much by other people. I mean, other people have have given a great deal to me. People in my church, people here. I mean, you, you all here today. I mean, I, I. It's a privilege to be able to preach to people. It's it's a privilege. It's a privilege when people keep coming back and they keep listening and when they get involved and when they help. I don't take that lightly. I mean, I take what I preach very serious. I try to study because I understand that there's a lot of other places that you could go. There's a lot. I mean, you don't. I mean, nobody makes you do this. You choose to come here. I'm telling you, I appreciate that. I don't take it lightly. I mean, you're, you are a blessing from God to me. I've been given much by my parents. I thank God for the sacrifices my parents made. My dad, he wasn't raised the way I was raised. He wasn't. My dad came out of a difficult situation. I can't say, I can't say that I did that. I, I've been raised in this. I've been given much as an American. Ted, we all should be able to say amen to that. Thank God we weren't born in it. In one of these countries where they don't have any freedom, where they're you know they're not allowed to say what they want to say, they can't just do what they want to do. I thank God that I'm an American. I, there's been people, many many people that have died so I can have freedom. I don't take that lightly. I I, I thank God for my freedom. And let me tell you, I've been given much as a child of God. Ephesians four seven. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. It took grace to save me. And it takes grace to save you. None of us deserve it. I honestly believe that today. I think I am equally a sinner 
as much as Paul. I never killed anybody, but I wasn't raised that way. We've got everybody in here. You've all got different backgrounds. You've all got different stories that you can tell. But I'm here today to tell you that just like me, just like Paul, every one of you in here is sinners. And every one of you in here, none of us, myself included, we do not deserve salvation. We do not deserve that. But thank God, He gives us grace. That's unmerited favor. Something that we don't earn. It's something that we don't deserve. And He'll still save anybody. And God can use anybody. God's not just using me because of the way I was raised. I know preachers way better than me doing way greater things that did not were not raised the way I was raised. There's a guy we're going to be having here in September. He's a missionary to Belize. He used to be a Satanist. He's got, he's got a rough past. But you know what? God saved him. And God's used him. I, I know, I know preachers that used to be thieves and used to be drug addicts and used to be drunkards. I know, I know these people. And they're doing great things for God. And I think about, and I look at myself and I think about all that I've been given. I think I should be doing way, way more for God. I'm telling you, I'm here today to tell you I'm not impressed with myself at all. And the more I read the Bible and the more I think about all that God has given me, I'm not impressed. And you know what? Really, none of us should be impressed with ourselves. But thank God, He still loves us and He still gives us grace. And you know what? If there's one here that you've never done that, maybe you've been thinking you're going to go to heaven just because you're good enough. That's, that's not the way it works. We all need that grace. And He'll give it to everyone. He will. He'll save anybody who wants to get saved. So let's stand together this morning with our heads bowed and eyes closed.